Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here this morning. And it's good to see that you um, stopped and took a little time out of your busy lives to come and worship and worship together. I think it's very important that we do that. Not only worship God, but worship together as uh, believers. And I want to welcome each of you and visitors that are here. There's some here. Thank you for coming. You're always welcome. Um, you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. There's a verse there I want to pull out that's very familiar to most all of us, I'm sure. Um, while you're turning there, I want to share a story with you that happened to me many years ago. I, I was trying to think just how old I was, and I'll try and keep this short. I can have a tendency to drag some stories out, but... Um, <clears throat> I think I was around maybe 10 to 12 years old, maybe, I'm not sure. Um, and I have always enjoyed driving things. Not necessarily driving things, but operating things. Um, I've been, at this point, I've been mowing grass for several years, and pretty much when I started mowing, I started mowing at eight, and nobody else really mowed grass after that in our family. Um, and. There was a man by the name of Dale Deaton. Some of you may know him. He lives in Quinter, Kansas, <clears throat> and he, uh, he owned property out here in Ohio. He was a farmer, and he needed someone to drive a tractor for him, working ground, so that he could be in the planter and, and whatnot. His uh, boys had gotten old enough that they really weren't involved much anymore. And he asked my dad if... I would be interested in doing that. And of course I was, I was, um, like I said, 10, 12 years old, somewhere in that range. But the problem is I had never drove a tractor before. Um, been on a lawnmower for a number of years. And so I grew up on a pig farm. Dad managed a, um, a sow farm. And we, our sow unit was at a different location than where all our other barns were. And there was a path through a field that we would drive a tractor back and forth, and it was a John Deere 3010, not a real big tractor. Um, we used it for a few, few different things, but. So Dad thought, well, if I'm gonna go work ground for Dale, I better get some experience behind the wheel of a tractor, so. One day we, we set out to head over to the sow unit, and um, I had rode on this tractor hundreds of times with my brothers, I have three older brothers, with dad set on the fender. And this was kind of like old hat, but yet I felt like I was kind of on top of the world. Like, this is the real deal. I was kind of living a dream, driving this tractor. And dad knew that. It's kind of interesting how dads can pick up on things like that. <clears throat> and if you know my dad real well, he's kind of ornery. And he, uh, he made a point to kind of get that arrogance out of me. And so we're driving along and everything was going great. I mean, probably shifted a couple of gears like a pro. I could barely sit on the seat, I remember that. And um, <laughs> we're going along and dad's sitting like right here beside me and he just yells, stop, stop, stop! And I about flipped out. And you, I don't know if you ever get that feeling where 
You got like pins and needles poking through your feet. Your, your adrenaline just cranks. And you don't even hardly know what to do. And uh, I very quickly got the tractor to a stop of some degree. <clears throat> we didn't come to a stop, but it was uh, a... Yeah, I, Basically, I went from hero to zero about that fast. And, and I looked over at Dad, and I, I remember just, like, freaking out, thought I ran over something, and, and, and he was looking at me, and he, he just started laughing. And he was like, well, I just wanted to make sure you knew how to stop the tractor. He's like, if you're going to drive a tractor, you, you got to know how to stop. And I went, so I went from hero to zero. My feelings were a roller coaster, and then I kind of wanted to just push Dad right off the tractor. I was pr fairly grumpy at him. And I found out he'd done this to all of us boys at some point in time. But I learned a valuable lesson that day that I haven't yet forgot. And that is, we need to know how to stop. Um, life is very busy, or <clears throat> it seems to be for us anyway, that it's just we got it to stop and kind of what I want to transition to is to resting in the Lord and it's hard to rest without actually taking a little bit of time and, and stopping. Um, and so we learn about that in chapter 11 here of Matthew, if you turn there. Um, verses, verse 28, very familiar verse. It says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it's interesting that I believe in the New, in the, uh, New Testament, in the King James Version, that this is the only time that God says, uses those words, that I will give you rest. Um, so it, it seemed prevalent kind of what was on my mind because our summer's been just packed. Um, there's things that's happened in the past that, that, that I won't even bring up, but um, we got Rodney Laurel staying with us here next week, which is going to be great. We've, um, that'd be Kenya's cousin, Laurel would be, so we've stayed with them and they've stayed with us before. But then a day after they leave, we fly out to Oregon and we're going to be out there for eight days or thereabouts. And then a couple days after we get home, the kids go to school. Um, and so we almost have to be packed for Oregon now and ready to go to school almost here coming up. And it's just kind of been cramming together. And I've been thinking that with all this going on, it, it's actually kind of difficult for me to actually just stop and, and rest in the Lord. And yet that's what we're called to do. That's what we need to do. Because he sustains us. He gives us life to carry on. Um, <clears throat> there's another place in the Old Testament that talks about resting, or that God will give us rest. And it is in Exodus. And it was interesting because I believe this is the only place in the Old Testament that God says the, these words as well. Um, this is actually Moses, and he is um, asking God to, to show him the way. God said that he had found grace kind of in the sight of Moses. And so Moses is saying that if you found grace in my sight, you, you show me the way. Um, he was at Mount Horeb, I believe. 
And so God says, and he just says these words in verse 14. He said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. I just found it interesting in those two circumstances. That's really, there's, there's other things in the Bible that, that talk about resting and, and God, you can have rest in the Lord. But these two instances, I believe, at least in the King James, is where God says that I will give you rest. Um, so just as encouragement for us today through summer, I know summer's coming to an end, school's going to be firing up here for it all that we rest in the presence of God because as Mike said in our Sunday school this morning that God's in control and I don't know about you but that's pretty comforting to rest in a God that's in control and sometimes uh, it can feel like that we're in control and that's usually when things kind of fall apart can and I can share a story with that but I'm not going to it's I could be up here for a while <laughs> Uh, talking about that. I'm not going to because Phil's got plenty to say, I'm sure. He didn't say that, but he will. Anyway, that's all I had. Um, prayer requests. Does anybody have anything they would like to share or ask for prayer for? Cody Long, I think I'll ask you to pray, please. Pray for a young gal in Wisconsin. Christina. Christina. Leg got crunched by a horse. Bart finishes up in Cambridgeburg today. Pray for him. Pray for Bart. See, he's finishing revival in Chambersburg. Cephas. Greg Sanders, is that his name? Yeah. Got lots of cancer, but he, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just remember to pray for Camille. Okay, let's pray.
your spirit to be with her and all that will be involved there for her, her period to uh, just surround her and, and give her your strength. Uh, we love you, Jesus. We thank you most of all for being our Lord and our Savior and died for our sins. And we just ask it in your most holy name. six months. So it's a very simple song, um, but the message is powerful for the Lord to us to be in his way and listening to what he is trying to teach us.
as many of you know, I like history and therefore current events. And that leads sometimes into prophecy, which we're not going to go into today. First of the week, China sent three aircraft carriers near Taiwan, along with a small armada of ships. The United States responded with the aircraft carrier USS Reagan and a small armada of ships. And there was, in the news, it was not infrequent to hear the statement that we are on the verge of World War III. Thankfully, the Lord spared us of that. But then Friday, Israel sent a drone to take out an Islamic terrorist in the Gaza Strip. And they responded so far with around 400 rockets aimed at Israel. And as of this morning, Israel took out the second in command of the terrorist group. Cephas could tell us that things aren't as good as they were in his village in Haiti. If you want to look up Kosovo, the list is just on and on and on. And the truth of the matter, whether we see it or not, like this week it was in our face, we're about that far from war all the time. The hatred of men, and we're seeing it in our own nation, in our own peoples, in our own government. And anyone who loves peace, this has to be a time of prayer and somewhat of pain. If you had the ability, the Lord would give you the ability to stop all of that. And peace would flow, and that will come someday when our Lord returns, but not until then. But if, just, just for purposes this morning, if he would give you the ability that you could bring peace and all of those trials and would be gone and they would be lost. Do you realize that that is not the greatest thing you would ever accomplish in life? That would not be the most important thing that could happen to you or me or any of us. It isn't. This is not our text this morning, but we invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke 9. I want to read one verse. I'm going to prove to you what I just said. Luke 9, 25. And this is our Lord speaking. And he says, for what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? He says, if you could fix the whole world and it would be all at your fingertips and we lose our soul, we've lost. So. So 
I take from that, and we're going to look at some more here in a little bit, but I take from that the most important thing in my life, hands down, nothing to compare with it. It's in a league all by itself is the salvation of my soul and of your soul. It's number one. Far and away, number one. So I have a question for you. How do you know that you're saved? I'm really going to talk primarily to the church this morning. I pray this morning that there are some who have not bowed the knee and made Jesus Lord, that they will do so. And there will be a message in it by the Spirit to them. But primarily I'm going to be speaking to the body of Christ this morning. I don't care where you worship. We're glad all you visitors are here. But how do you know you're saved? It's an interesting question because when I think about knowing, um, I think about it this way. Jayla just has been to Kenya. And so I want to hear her story because she knows some things about Kenya because she has been there that I don't know. I want to hear it. So when I talk about being saved, it is indicating that we need to know from someone who has been on the other side of the valley of life that we have never been. None of us have been there. So there's a sense about knowing that is different here with eternal life. And that's what we want to look at. Can we know? How do we know? Well, I want to look... Um, this, again, is not our text yet, but turn to uh, St. John 10 with me. I have a couple places in John that I want to look at before we get to the text verse. St. John 10, 10. In fact, the last half of that 10th verse is what I want. And Jesus, again, is speaking. And he says, I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. So what does that mean, the abundant life? Does that mean that Jesus came from heaven, died on a Roman cross, shed his blood for me so that I could have a smooth life and everything would be pleasant? Is that the abundant life? There's too many scriptures and there are too many examples that we know that that is not accurate. What is the abundant life? I'm going to suggest to you, and I think it's really fairly clear here, the abundant life is the everlasting life that Jesus offers. It starts in this life, but it has eternally no end. So, um, turn, turn to John 20. One more place here. 29th verse. I want to read one more place. John 20, 29. And Jesus saith unto him, again, Jesus is speaking, he's talking to Thomas. Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So it seems like the knowing is strictly by faith. I really appreciate Oliver's opening this morning with the 11th chapter of the faith chapter. I go right on. 
The only way that we can know is by faith. And the amazing thing about faith is we are acknowledging the truth of things that we have never seen. And Jesus says the blessing to Thomas, he said, okay, Thomas, you've seen the holes in my hands and my feet and so forth inside, and now you believe, but there's a special blessing for those who believe that have never seen. That's you and I. So we come this morning, and I want to ask you again, is there any evidence of the new birth in your life? How do you know that you are saved? Like so many things, when we start to study something like this, it just comes in like a tsunami. And there's, the, the problem is, is how to sort it out to even make a decent presentation. Because there's many ways to answer it. But I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles, all of you now, because we're going to spend a fair amount of time in 1 John. And the text verse in 1 John is in uh, <clears throat> the fifth chapter the 13th verse. Now, now, I want to stop just for a little bit and talk about John. He was an interesting man. We could go back to Malachi, and it was the last writing in the Old Testament, and there was 400 years of silence. But if you look at things that Malachi had to say, he foresaw much of what was coming. And the reason I say that is because John, the apostle, was apparently the last living apostle. He had been exiled on Patmos. He had wrote the book of John, he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and by the Holy Spirit he had written Revelation. And so when John writes, he sees things into the future that you and I do not see. Because the Holy Spirit was on him. And so, what is he writing about? And this is an interesting statement, I want you to notice this morning. If you are in Christ... And you want to know whether or not you're saved, I'm going to suggest to you, read the book of 1 John. And this is why. 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. John says, I'm writing so that you will know. So we're going to look at 1 John this morning, the first two chapters, and I'm going to admit to you we're going to bypass a whole bunch of really good stuff, and there's a whole bunch after the second chapter. But this morning for a little bit, we're going to look at seven or eight things that are evidences of salvation. Six of them, I think, are found here this morning I'm going to share with you. And I think this is personal examination time. I'm really not here to... Uh, Condemn anybody or, or anything like that. But I want to know, because it's the most important thing, remember? I want to know, am I saved? Is there anything else more important than that? In the end, when it's all over, I want to be saved. I want to spend eternity with my Lord, with my loved ones, with my family. Nothing else counts in the end. So let's go to the first chapter of 1 John, and we will begin in the third verse. We're going to look at, uh, I guess, five things here in 1 John. Third verse, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. 
This then is the message which ye heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, notice this, one with another, this is what Jake talked about in the opening, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sins. So this is the first evidence of salvation. We have fellowship with one another, and we have fellowship with God, the Father, and we have fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. I find this interesting. John is writing about fellowship. Well, what about John? Well, they put him on an old island by himself. And he had to write the scriptures all by himself. And he didn't have anyone around him. All he had was the Lord. And he calls it fellowship. And what we're doing this morning is wonderful. It is an absolute blessing of God together, together with God's people. We've got a revival coming. I hope, this, I hope starting Wednesday night this place is packed. It doesn't make any difference how good the speaker is or anything else. It's about fellowship with the Lord and with one another. But I want us to notice that when John wrote even all of Revelation, he was by himself, but he had the Lord. When we have the Lord, we have fellowship. We are never by ourselves. It's always there. Seems to me like fellowship entails interacting with one another, talking Sharing life, learning, blessing. Suppose we're by ourselves in an earthly way and our fellowship is with God. I'd like to ask you something. Remember, we're talking about evidences of salvation. You ever talk to God? If we have fellowship with Him, we're going to be talking to Him, we're going to be listening to Him, we're going to share our troubles. We're going to thank him for our blessings. One of the evidence of salvation is that there is a fellowship with the living God that created us. And I'm not going to talk a lot about this, but if you think about it, this is just the opposite of an unbeliever. They do not have fellowship with the God of the universe. They do not praise him. They do not worship him. This is a marked difference with a believer. And it is continual, don't make any difference. How old we are, where we are, with married, single, wealthy, poor, it doesn't make any difference. This is a relationship with the living God, and it is continual. Ryan, you can go to the top of those 250-foot towers or whatever they are. You can talk to God. You can clean out a hog pen, I know. And it's smelly stuff. You can talk to God. It's all right. Number two, let's begin reading in the eighth verse of this first chapter. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John is called the intimate and the gentle apostle, but you read his writings and man, they are poof, direct, they're blunt. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know what this says? One of the things that happened when we come to Jesus Christ and there's a new creature, he changes us completely. We have a desire to do things holy, godly, rightly. And you know what? We mess it up. We just do. And if we don't outwardly, we think it. And so he says, uh, we have an advocate. You know what he's telling us? We have the opportunity to repent. Do you know that we never reach the age where we have to stop repenting? I listened to an old, old man. He had served the Lord many, many days, many years. And someone was talking to him about all of this kind of things. And he said, you know, he said, I realized the other day I was thinking about it. And if salvation depended on me, I would lose it. We need to repent all the time. And if we ever reach the point that we're not repenting, the evidence of the new birth is lost. Are you saved this morning? Number three, let's go to this second chapter. We'll pick it up in the third verse. And hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. And hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. You notice it's talking about being obedient to the word. One of the things that uh, happened neat this week, we were to Waterside and Connor gave his testimony and one of the things he said was, I had to come to grips with the idea that I don't understand everything. That Jesus is enough. And I'm going to tell you until we get there. There was a teaching, and a lot of people would say John's writing was in response to what was called Gnosticism. And to oversimplify it, Gnosticism would say that there is a special wisdom that is above all other wisdom, and it's not necessarily biblical wisdom, but it's just a group of people that they have figured out what wisdom is, and if you abide to it, and you, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like what they call science today. Science trumps faith today in our world. What a mistake. What a disaster. And so I ask you this morning, and there's going to be things. I don't, if, if anybody here has all the answers to all the questions, I want to talk to you because I'm not there. And there are a lot of things I just simply have to say, Lord, I don't know. I don't understand. I can't figure it out. I rest in you. This is one of the evidences of a new birth. All our wisdom and our hope and our order in life comes from the Lord. All of it. 
Number four. Let's read here in this second chapter of 1 John, starting at the seventh verse. I write unto you no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith, he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. And he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his life. So you know what the old commandment and the new commandment is? It's simply love. Do you realize that real, bona fide, agape, God-ordained love never fails, it never quits? And one of the marks of a true believer is that simply that we are lover of souls. Doesn't mean it's returned. Doesn't mean the object of the love acknowledges it or appreciates it or understands it. But it's who we are. We live in a hate-filled world. I'll tell you, we need to be lovers of souls. Even, even as conflicts come and pressures come, disappointments come, failures in our lives, and they do, sometimes we cause them, sometimes somebody else does, whatever, doesn't make any difference. But the real issue in our heart of hearts, do we love them? And if we do, there is a continual longing in our heart for that individual or group or whatever it might be. For a genuine reconciliation to happen. This world needs to see this love of Jesus. It is one of the marks of the child of God. You can hurt him. I think I've shared this story. <clears throat> but it was Vietnam War. And there was American soldiers that had been captured and thrown into unbelievably filthy, rat-infested cells. They didn't have anything. They didn't really have enough food to live on. And one day, one of the Viet Cong guards had found a Bible. And for mockery, I take it, he tore the pages of that Bible and he gave it to the prisoners to use for teepee. And you know what they did? They had the word of God in their hands. Sometimes it was just a verse or two. And they praised the Lord and they prayed for the guards and they prayed that the power of the Spirit would come. God's people are lovers in the most hateful situations there are. One of the really sad commentaries, and it includes the real conservative Anabaptist, everybody, really, is the divisions that are there. And they do not end. Split, split, split. Really? Are we filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Is there evidence of salvation in our lives? Number five, let's 
go to the second chapter of the 25th verse. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce you, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. This anointing, you noticed earlier, we talked about fellowship with the Father and the Son. But this anointing is the Holy Spirit. And he says he lives in you. And he will teach you. The problem sometimes is that we rely on things other than the Holy Spirit to rightly divide the words of truth. And for a real believer, forgive me for being this personal, I think a lot of you know I like to read a lot of commentaries and so forth, and I do, not as much as I used to, but I, I still do, because I can't read the Greek. I like men that translate it and so forth. But I have a basic practice I try to follow. I need to be in prayer, and I need my Bible open. I need to be in prayer because I want the Holy Spirit to help me divide. I want to have my Bible open so I can measure it against anything anybody else says, preaches, teaches, or writes down. And the scripture says, if you will come to the Holy Spirit, he will teach you, and he will teach you perfectly. I don't know about you. This is a very private thing, really. Yes, we pray that the Holy Spirit's here today, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them, but there is a sense in which the Holy Spirit is a very quiet, personal thing. It's got to be all the time. I lack wisdom. I'm not smart enough. I'm not. And the older I get, I think I get dumber sometimes. You don't even have to agree with that. But <laughs> Holy Spirit, teach me. Show me. The Spirit... Romans 8, 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You will never find an unbeliever that is anointed that says or believes they are anointed with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. One of the greatest evidences there is is that we walk in the Spirit. That's the reason it's easy to repent. Oh, we don't like to repent. We're not that way. But when the Spirit's there, I can do it. I can do it by His glory, by His grace. Well, the last two I want to look at are not in 1 John. So you might want to turn your Bibles to the book of James. <clears throat> I have one verse there in the first chapter that I want to look at. And this has been one that, for me... Um, it's been a lifelong walk, a lifelong work that the Lord has taught me, and I've been stubborn. Um, I tend to be trusting my own judgment, um, at times to even be arrogant. I don't know if anyone else can relate to these things or whether it's just me. So the Lord's had a work to do on me, and I'm still learning. 
let's begin in James, the first chapter, and I want to read the second verse. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Do you ever thank the Lord when you're tempted? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, or the testing, worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind, and tossed. And let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. This is what I've learned. I learn way more in my trials and my failures than I do with my so-called successes. It's just a fact. And there's something that happens, we're talking about the evidences of salvation today. There's something that happens to a believer who goes through a trial, he walks through the fire that nothing else could teach him. In fact, the trials, the temptations, and the fires of life are what sanctify and bring us to the Lord continually. Is your life a mess? Your relationship's a mess? Your family's hurting? Your finances are bad? Your health is going downhill? You've been false accused at work? I don't know. You name it. Something's happened. For a believer, and I should have learned it earlier than I did. Many years ago, there was a sister in the congregation we were in, and there was a situation that came up that appeared to be really, really bad. And I remember this older sister. I don't know why it stuck with me, but she said, I wonder what the Lord's up to. She knew that the Lord was at work for good in the midst of that nasty situation. You ever thank the Lord for the things that went wrong? I'll guarantee you without me knowing them, you learned way more then than you did any other time. It's just the way it is. There's, um, there's one trial that I, I despise. I, I don't like it. I'll avoid it if there's any way possible. I just, and that's the trial of shame. I don't like to be shamed. I don't know anybody that does, but there's something about real genuine public shame that is just, no, nah, no, nah, please don't take me there, Lord. Do you know that when Jesus died on the cross, all, all of us have shame, by the way. We all do. Do you know that when Jesus died on the cross, he died not only for the sins that caused the shame, he, caught, he died for the shame. Thank you, Lord. Many people are in all kinds of therapy today that is not of the Lord, is not of the, of the scriptures, and they try so hard to get things fixed 
And I want to tell you, there is a remedy for all of our mistakes, all of our sins, all of the shame, all of everything, and it's the Son of God hanging on a cross, on a Roman cross, shedding his blood for me. That is the remedy. Therefore, you and I, as believers, we have a special avenue to joy. If you'll notice, count it all joy when you have all these troubles. That's what James said. Really? I don't like it. But the joy is that we know the one who cleans my slate and presents me faultless before the throne. Hallelujah. Well, there's uh, one more place I want to look this morning. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, 5th chapter. And I want to read... One verse, 17th verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Remember, we're talking about the evidence of the new birth, the new creation. Now, this is a, this is a very crude, homely illustration, forgive me. I've been around pigs all my life. I've always liked them. I don't know why. You don't have to teach a pig how to eat a corn off a cob. He just does. It's amazing. It, that's what he is. Do you know that do you know that if you if you make friends with a pig and then you rub their belly, they'll just melt like butter and they'll fall over. I had about a 600 pound sow that I was, almost had to be careful getting in the pen where she was because that's what she wanted. She wanted me to rub her belly. And she would just fall over. That's what a pig does. They were created a pig, they do what a pig does. The Bible says that as you and I are created in the image of God and therefore we are to do the things that God does, we're to love the things that God loves, and it isn't even something we force, it is a natural thing because we've been walking in the Spirit, we've been reading the Word, we've been loving people, and here we are. One of the greatest marks of a born-again child of God is what they love. I can't answer that for you. I'm going to get real blunt with you in conclusion. We have revivals coming this week. I struggle with the idea that there's something that we love to do more and come and worship together, fellowship together, and hear the word taught. I don't understand. I, I know there's individual things, there's times we all get caught, we understand that. I'm talking about an attitude. So, you know that you're saved? I trust everyone here could see and I've just touched just a handful of things. I mean, <laughs> there's a huge list. 
I haven't talked about humility. I mean, I, the list just goes on and on. But my, I think that the important thing is that when we are on this pathway, this journey, that we are headed toward the heavenly and we are walking away from the ungodly. We're not all the same place. We're not all the same maturity. We don't have all the same understanding. But we're headed towards our Lord. Well, we're going to uh, conclude this service a little bit different. I want to state in the beginning that uh, there is a, a carry-in meal prepared and you are all invited. Our visitors, we want you to know that we would we'd really appreciate it if you found it in your schedules to stay with us and have a lunch with us. You are more than welcome. We appreciate your attention or your attendance. Um, we're going to ask Tom and Landy to come up with their children. They are getting ready to move to northeastern Ohio, I believe. And um, maybe, Tom, if you want to share any of that, you can. That's up to you. But we're going to seat them up here. And for closing prayer, any who would like to bless them, because they are going to be leaving this area to live, and anyone would like to come forward and bless them, uh, you're encouraged to do so. And that's how we're going to conclude this meeting. Let's do that now. Maybe while they come up, could we have just a verse of, of him? Just one.